Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome back to another episode of Maker That Money Podcast, live here on the YouTubes uh, just about every Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific, with my good friend, Mr. Andrew Mayhall of 3D Gloop. I am Pooch of RepCord. That is my official <laughs> moniker. For this, for these purposes, uh, welcome everybody. Good to see you guys in the chat. Got some regulars, uh, Alex, Grant, Michal, uh, Asylum Life. Good morning. Good morning yeah. to you all. I hope you guys had a great week um, and are excited to get into the the details on on <laughs> problems and processes today. But before we do, oh boy, <laughs> first we're gonna check in with Andrew. Andrew, how are you feeling today? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, tired from the week, but, you know, doing good. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's interesting. I, th- I was thinking about this the other day. You know, the fact that we have a seven-day week and that we've determined that five days is a, a normal, and I know that it's different for everybody, and as an entrepreneur, you, you don't always get the five days because we end up working over the weekend <laughs> and stuff. But, you know, like, okay, why, why five of seven? Why is that a reasonable? You get two days to rest. You know, there, there's got to be some interesting historical significance to the, the work week pattern. Um, well, it, it probably I, goes back to labor organization and stuff like it that. It was Henry Ford. Here was, in it the Henry, was it Henry yeah, Ford it was, that we... It was uh, Henry okay. Ford, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, the, the, okay, so thanks thanks to Henry. You guys can all thank Henry for, for the five-day work week, if you have a five-day work week. Uh, we don't always have that luxury. But uh, hopefully you get some rest and relaxation in at some point over the weekend and recharge for what's sure to be an awesome next week for you as well, I'm, I'm guessing. It's never-ending. <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> things uh, things are okay on this front. I um, uh, I got my coffee and I got a backup coffee. It's been a little bit Ooh. chilly here. My um, propane service, so we're on propane here, uh, ran dry, which it's not supposed to. Oh, no. Like, the, the, I literally pay for a service where they're supposed to just come and check and you know top it off as need Mm be and uh great time you know dead of winter to just like run out of so no heating no hot water and uh you know a couple angry calls to customer service but so i got my coffee and then i i I brewed a backup coffee because it's like my source of warmth right now aside from my space (laughs) heater that's cranking right here but it was a nice uh balmy 48 degrees inside the house this morning when i woke up sounds like it sounds like you might need to invest in some Fair of those right. like uh, portable like uh, propane tanks, and then just tap into your into your main propane tank. So, <laughs> so it's it's funny you mentioned that because I, I actually do have like four or five of the you know the grill size uh, ones, and yeah. uh, I mean it's never advisable to to, but I I do have like one of those blaster you know heaters that mm-hmm. you see for camping and stuff where you just put it oh, on the end okay. of that. Oh, okay, the torpedo heaters. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, the, the, the torpedo heaters, those are hardcore. No, I'm talking about more, yeah. it's more of like a radiant dish oh, um, okay. Okay. <clears throat> style, but that thing will put out some heat. Uh, yeah. Probably not advisable to run it indoors, but uh, yeah, it hasn't come yeah. to that yet. Hopefully, they're going to get that emergency delivery out to me. I, I honestly, I can deal with the colder air, and I understand, like, it's all relative. Like, I'm in California. It gets mostly like just barely to freezing, maybe a little bit below uh, in the winter here. Mm-hmm. It's a, I'm not dealing with sub freezing temperatures and stuff like that. So, sure. um, you know, I can deal with it. But not not having my hot showers, man, that's like my one creature <laughs> comfort. 
that I need, and it makes me so grumpy when I can't get my hot shower. So I, I oh, may man. just I may just have to shower at the gym later. But uh, you didn't tune in to hear about my my pain from that. <laughs> but I'm I'm clutching my coffee. By the way, not sponsored. I don't know if you're you're are you are you a huge coffee drinker? I mean, I drink coffee every now and again. Coffee. I got myself for Christmas something called the AeroPress. Again, not sponsored. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys haven't tried this, I highly recommend it. I've been playing with different stuff like doing pour overs. I don't like coffee machines typically because like the plumbing always just gets a little bit funky over time and you're supposed to flush them with vinegar and do all this extra stuff. I wouldn't call myself a coffee snob, but I'm like, a, I want an easy cleanup and I don't want mold <laughs> in my life as much as, as possible. So I, I did some research. I tried this uh, AeroPress thing, and it's it's supposed to give you like kind of an approximation of like more of a uh, an uh, espresso cappuccino where you're actually using okay. pressure to drive sure uh, through. So it's just a giant syringe and like a little filter. So you put the grounds and then you put the hot water in, and then you press it through. It's pretty simple. Okay. Takes ten seconds to clean up, and it's so weird because it like same beans that I'm using. I love a dark roast. And uh-huh. so I don't go like explicitly espresso roast, but really yeah. it's just a function of how dark the roast is. Mm-hmm. But the same stuff I was using for my pour overs and this, and the flavor is totally different. It's it's wild. Oh, sure. it's, it's like it changes the acidity or something like that. So I don't know the exact science behind it, uh, but yeah. I, I just... All about that pressure. It's really, all about how, really how much pressure. It. Yeah. Well, and then it had yeah. me thinking, I'm like, I need a little bit more because you want that crema, like the, the, that little yeah. f- frothiness that you get, and you can't really quite get that with the, the pressure thing. So yeah. this is, of course, how espresso machines came came to existence. That's but, exactly it, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want a machine. I, I like my manual and simple cleanup and stuff like that. But I've been enjoying this very much, and it's very easy to make an Americano. I've never been an Americano person, really, uh, but I, I seem to be now. So there you go. Okay. Greetings, uh, Mike from Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada. That's a, his normal sign-in. Uh, I'm not that grumpy, Mike. I'm not that grumpy. We're, <laughs> we're doing our good. Oh, good. Asylum Life, uh, another vote for the AeroPress. That's good. I like that. Okay, so I'm not alone in that. So, you know, there's a plug. Something for you to try, try out. They're cheap. And if you're uh, into coffee like I am, that's something to try. Okay. Down to business. Right. All let's, right. Let's, let's get away. Let's let's talk about today's topic at hand and why it came up. So, if you didn't notice, I did a tweet earlier. This is a shirt that I got from Tested. I bought this. They didn't send it to me. Like I bought this shirt, not sponsored again. But I love this. It's an Adam <laughs> Savagism. And let me move move my mic out of the way. There here. you go. Really quickly. Yeah. Stand up. It is not a problem to solve. It is a process to manage. So Adam uh, Savage, if you're not a fan of Mistbusters or, or Tested.com or any of that stuff, he is known for his his interesting little wisdoms. My other personal favorite um, of his is uh, I reject your reality and substitute my own, uh, which mm-hmm. is a classic. Um, and yeah. he's got others and stuff, too. But th- this is a great one. Uh, and it spoke to me, so I immediately had to order it, uh, and I sported it and <laughs> did a post on on Twitter earlier in the week on it. And uh, t- it resonates with me uh, specifically because it represents a lot of the things in my life as a small business entrepreneur that mm-hmm. that, that I keep falling into. And you'll, you'll notice this, it's not maybe it's not that subtle, but the arrows of like 
the circular loop, loop, right? (laughs) And a lot of times the problems that we come across in life, in business and everything uh, Mm -hmm. are, are recurring. And sometimes it takes some time to like really understand and realize like the scope of the problem. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and then try to find better solutions besides just like, you know, uh, uh, plug in the hole as it pops up. And before you know it, you're just overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why does the problem keep happening? What does this Mm -hmm. statement mean to you, Andrew? Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, it's an interesting one. Um, to me, I, I think it really, it, it says that, a lot of the a lot of the problems that that we you know as as maker entrepreneurs you know come across um you know we have a way of of basically coming up with a oh i can solve that problem with you know doing x y or z and you know thinking that oh hey hey you solved the problem but in reality like you were saying you just plugged the hole in the dike Yep. And, you know, it's it's a quick patch most of the time because right. we're focused on doing the next thing. Right. Or chasing Absolutely. that shiny, shiny object. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. you know, and then eventually it becomes a problem again. And it's like, oh, well, you know, I did this. So, you know, that must be the process that I have to do again to basically, you know, fix the problem. And what I see it as is you get stuck in an endless loop. Um, yep. And if you're not careful, that endless loop can eventually lead to the whole you know, damn, basically breaking away and, and you know, you get flooding swept your entire down town. river and yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. you're dead. Uh, <laughs> ominous. <laughs> so tell, tell me when the, if this, if this speaks to you guys in the chat as just humans, as small, small businesses and stuff like thinking about the problems that you've had in your life or in your business and stuff like that. And, and are you, just plugging the hole in the dike, as we like to say, or are you like actually identifying the problem and saying like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that that's more important in some aspects than the other. When you think about problems that arise, say in your customer service world, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, That that's probably one of the most immediately obvious things to us because it's like, okay, one person had this problem. Two people had this problem. Okay, now we need to have some process so that these problems mm-hmm. don't continue to happen so it doesn't cost us additional rework, customer mm-hmm. service time, all of that yep. stuff. I think that's like a pretty uh, glaring uh, example. And 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 it's sometimes it's good and sometimes you need to live the problems. You need to experience them mm-hmm. to get the perspective. So we're going to do more alliteration here. Uh, to identify problem and then create process. So by that, I mean, um, you get so wrapped up in your own, if we're talking product design, like we we Mm -hmm. are for some other stuff, like the way that things should or should not be uh, and and what's simple and intuitive to you and all that stuff. And, And it doesn't occur to you that people might use or try to put something together a specific way or whatever. And until you get that data, you know, you don't mm-hmm. know what you don't know. And sure. you don't even know that you need a process or a, because you didn't even know it was a problem. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It wasn't a problem for yeah. you. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. You probably come across uh, stuff like that in your, your. Uh, oh, endeavors. sure. Well, you know, so, so it's interesting, right? Because for, for me, 
Um, I'm a very process oriented individual in that mm -hmm. I like thinking through all of the, the requisite steps, if you will, to either, you know, make a product or run a chemical reaction or, uh, you, you know, basically build something. Uh, and, you know, it's a process oriented in that there's defined steps along the way. Sure. And you, you know, you have to complete these steps methodically. Maybe it's because, you know, of training in, you know, how you actually run chemical reactions, like how your reagents are added, how you document, how you engineer everything, you know, from that nature. But, um, you know, in, in terms of in terms of like building a business, I always see it as a, as a process. Like I see everything as a process, like, Oh, well mm. first we got to do this and then we got to do this. And then, but that in itself could actually become a problem because when you break things down into all of these individual processes, you can actually lose sight of the overall goal of what you're trying to actually achieve. And then you're just stuck in a process loop. Um, so kind of think of this as like an endless bureaucratic loop that you go like to the DMV or whatever, where it's like, oh, you don't have this piece of documentation and this piece and this piece. And, you know, it, it it's never ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's <laughs> it's an interesting uh, challenge sometimes to stop and analyze. Well, hold on. Let me step back a second. We've talked about technical debt in the past, and mm -hmm. and for those that haven't seen or uh, sorry haven't heard that episode before or whatever, technical debt are, are the things that you basically kind of put off, uh, in the hopes that you can deal with it later mm -hmm. because maybe you don't have the time and the energy to deal with it now. And I feel like it's very interrelated to what we're talking about here, where, sure. um, there sometimes you just got to fix the problem. Right, mm -hmm. you need to push a patch, like a hot fix, uh, in the software mm -hmm. world or something like that. Um, but all too often, we fall into that trap of like, I just got to fix this right now, uh, mm -hmm. and then you you borrow against some technical debt and be like, I'm gonna, we'll in the next revision, we'll issue a more solid fix or we'll establish sure. the process or whatever. And you know, there's an argument to. You, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do, um, mm -hmm. and you don't have the time to do the process piece. And sure. I think I, in this day and age, tend to fall into this camp now where I spend probably more time uh, anticipating that something is a bigger problem than it actually is, and then I, I rabbit hole into like establishing processes before it's like really a problem so my question to you mm -hmm. is how can we set some metrics for identifying the scope of a problem and hmm. when you need to invest in the process versus sure. what the pragmatic approach of like let's just get it get that hot fix out there mm-hmm yeah, and that's an interesting that's an interesting question and and uh, a really unique way to look at it. Um, I would say that it's probably going to be really dependent on what it is that you're like, what the scope of the you know problem or process is. Um, but generically speaking, yeah, you know, uh, in some cases, as I was mentioning, you know, you can kind of get in your own way of starting to think about all of the different things that you need to do in order to get, you know, something across the finish line. And, you know, as you were mentioning, rabbit holing down and, and preventing yourself from actually taking that action. Yeah. Um, 
in in many cases, I think um, you know we have to try and take a step back and look at it from a different perspective of okay well what just happens if i just get it done and just try yeah. it so yeah. i think you know really looking at the problem in such a way that uh if if you're trying to identify uh, how do you prevent problems from arising i think that's that's like kind of the the red flag there of okay maybe you're thinking about too many things at once like you're, you're trying to prevent a problem from happening when you don't even know if it's actually going to be a problem right um you know so that's where you have a hypothesis so mm -hmm. let's test it let's just mm -hmm. throw some science at the wall here and actually test it and you know that takes that takes stepping back and just seeing what happens um so you know so if, it, if i were if to put a sense. yeah no it does so, and if i were to put a step one on it it's like okay like identify the, the problem or the magnitude of the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe try to get out of your own head. Uh, you know, this is where like talking to other people, like walking through, like, okay, here's what I think this is a problem. Like, I think this may be a recurring mm -hmm. issue. I'll give you guys a great real world example of something we've been dealing with this week. Um, we released a new design of the rep box. We use a different, uh, we use a thinner panel for certain pro part. Yeah certain parts of the box now and we've had a couple reports from customers of of breakage uh it, specifically where uh filament has the exit holes that, that that go out the box and we have them in various places so that it's modular so that you can mm -hmm. configure the box so you can put it under on a shelf and feed up to a printer or down or whatever um and we thought like oh this design improvement is great because when you don't have an exit fitting in place there's just a, a press fit plug that goes in the hole mm -hmm. so that you just don't have a bunch of Swiss cheese holes everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you pop out the plug, put in a fitting when you want filament to come out. When you don't, you take the fitting out, you plug the thing back in. Uh, in the old version, the plugs didn't quite like seat fully. So over time, they would sometimes kind of pop themselves out. They were just like a little nylon sheet metal mm -hmm. plug. Uh in this version, they actually engage, like they press in and will like kind of the the inner flange of the thing will kind of lock down and that felt great because it was like okay hey we get th these don't pop out anymore okay we have a uh, mm -hmm. but what we didn't realize was going on was as people are trying to move stuff around and they're popping them out uh once they've already put the box together they're putting a lot of excess force to try to like press these things in or ah. out and it's causing breakage and it didn't occur to us that that was a particular failure mode and so it's like okay what do we what do we need to do to sure what is the scope of this you know problem so we had one mm -hmm. report last week we had a second report this week and we're like okay are we starting to establish sure. a pattern here um mm -hmm. is the fix like better awareness i mean obviously we don't want to have to go back and redesign and go to a, a different you know thicker panel um mm -hmm. I, we do like that the engagement of these plugs is different but maybe if people are reconfiguring them more often than we expected or uh, not going about it the right way, or if the holes are too tight, like there's a number tight, of yeah. hypotheses mm -hmm. now that we need to like investigate to the, to the root of this problem. And that's always painful when you just, you know, you think you're improving things and now you're dealing with um, more sure. customer service issues because there's breakage. And, and uh, honestly, people, the customers have been great. They're like, I broke it. I was overly aggressive with it. But to some extent, we own the fact that, mm -hmm. 
well, we didn't have this problem before and now we do. So what do we do about it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I'm a, asking, that's a, what do we do about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 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 you know, I, I think that what, what you've, what you've established now is essentially a repeat event. And so uh, from there, that's, uh, that's the, I, well, I would say two, the second twice. signal. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, but it's, it's still, there's, there's some, it's not a fluke. Um, and it happened in such a relatively close time frame that mm. one could then logically assume like, okay, if, if it happened within two weeks, right. then maybe another week we'll get another one. Um, you know, there's, there's a pattern starting to form. It's, it's too soon to say exactly how it's going to form, but you know, so what I was saying is, is I think right now we can start to recognize the potential of a pattern. And so at this point, I think it is appropriate to say, okay, well, let's let's like do that step one, identify the magnitude of the potential problem. Right. And then try and start formulating, okay, so if we know that the magnitude of this problem is going to be relatively large, like we might have to either A issue or recall, like that's kind of like you know, the worst Ooh. sort of you yeah. know situation. You said the R word. Or yeah or is it is it more something where we have to increase awareness so now it's okay we need to you know draft up a newsletter and contact the customers that ordered this saying hey you know um you know be careful or be mindful of putting this mm -hmm. in and yeah. then you know so this is where we're starting to establish okay what is our process going to look like because for one we don't even have all of the data so and then it comes down to do we now need to start collecting data does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and identifying that. So uh, step one of the, you know, process v progress, uh, I'm sorry, problem, uh, mm -hmm. you know, issue is like the, the identifying the problem, the magnitude, the significance, right? Like get out of your mm -hmm. own head. Don't, don't go. So uh, this may be a scenario where we did not consider that we had a problem and now we're identifying like, oh, we do. And we're going to have to figure out how to do that. What's an example, Andrew, of a time where you probably, I'm putting you on the spot, um, sure. feared that a problem was bigger than it actually was and spent too much time working on a solution that just really you didn't need to? Or have you, hmm. can you yeah. think of one of those? I mean, you know, there there are a lot of different ones that, uh, you know, that, that we've, you know, had here internally. Um, one that comes to mind externally was when we started launching, you know, our, our, our products are, our, our, you know, we had an issue with, uh, I've mentioned this several times before, the seals on our caps. And at first, you know, we thought, oh my God, this is going to be such a massive issue. Like we're going to have customers coming back and, you know, like we're going to, you know, it's basically going to put us out of business. Yeah. Um, what we realized, and so we started like doing a lot of research, a lot of testing and, you know, spending a bunch of effort into trying to solve that problem. And what we realized was that the, the problem was, you know, that ended up presenting itself was around five to 10% of the bottles that, you know, that we actually sold that a customer would actually experience this issue, which yes, could be a pretty high margin, but are, you know, um, you know, bigger, you know, issue in general. But what ended up happening is, is it allowed us to actually communicate with said customers and then make it right for them. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. gained us a lot more customer loyalty 
out of the entire situation than than you know it, we would have actually thought it would have yeah. um and from there you know we we had this issue and it was a known issue and then we made it aware you know we made everyone aware saying listen hey if you have this issue reach out to us this is this is our process of how we actually go through and you know um you know basically take care of our customers so we established a process you know that's a um, that's a really good point i want to hone in on this guys because i think this is really what separates the you know what is it the chaff from the week what's the saying mm-hmm. somebody <laughs> i botched that but but the you know the the things that uh you you can take these potential problems and turn them into a major strength by communicating them. Right. And mm-hmm. short term, it feels painful, right? You're like, Oh, if I have to issue this, like customers are going to get upset or there's going to be that uh, swath of customers that are going to probably not really mm-hmm. have the issue or have not contacted you, but because you had thrown out that you're going to replace it for free, then of course they're going to take advantage of that. And so you're having to send out an additional product. So you really have to look at your outreach as kind of mm-hmm. like a long tail thing in terms of establishing brand trust, right? And mm-hmm. so, yep. it, it, that, that which feels immediately painful, uh, you know, Andrew's not. We talked about the R word, you know, issuing a recall, mm-hmm. but um, you know, sometimes it can just be fishing for data in terms of like we are aware of this as a potential issue. We want you guys to know that we're looking for it. We take it seriously and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And those things go a long way in terms of winning over your customer loyalty. So mm-hmm. that can be leveraged in a way that that can be beneficial and and maybe you can get ahead of the game where you might catch it before it becomes a problem for other people and mm-hmm. before they get frustrated because for every customer that you're hearing from that has a problem, there's probably a, a, a non-zero sum that are out there uh, that yep. uh, non-zero amount that are out there that just never contact you and they're just frustrated and they just won't ever buy from you again. Right. Yep. So absolutely. So you, when you, you know, head that off at the pass, uh, you're potentially winning some back, uh, which, Mm -hmm. which can be a good thing, but I know that that's not, that feels painful because you're creating more work for yourself and all that stuff. So you have to, you have to evaluate those things and balance them. So in the Mm -hmm. identifying of the problem, you know, you kind of said, well, you know, it really wasn't that big of a problem, mm-hmm. but maybe it's worth, you know, doing this. And maybe at the size of your company y- you were at right now, it's worth doing. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not like I can see different people sitting around in a meeting arguing over the merits of, of both approaches, mm-hmm. like for yep. anything less than 5% or whatever, or 2% mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just... We'll just send. We'll just deal with it as it arises, right? And I was on a, mm-hmm. I was on a hangout with uh, I see Zombie Hedgehog and Liz uh, are in here uh, earlier in the week, and it was discussed about three D printing, uh, Chinese like Chinese three D printing manufacturers, and how a lot of them don't even have a good process for like sending spare parts. They are sure. they are so working on optimizing like an inexpensive machine that they will oftentimes just send a whole nother machine whenever you know when they need to, which seems completely ah. wasteful and ridiculous. Yeah. But that is the volume approach to customer service mm-hmm. a lot of the time, where it's just like, well, we don't really have a parts department and stuff like that, uh, and the machine's cheap enough, and we'll just send you another machine so that you, know, you have it, and so. Uh, sure. I've had that happen to me before with, um, 
I want to say it was like an artillery printer or something like that, uh, where it was just like, ah, we'll just send you another one. Uh, you can have it. And, and I didn't particularly like that res- resolution because like, I didn't want sure. to just take apart another perfectly good, like harvesting one printer to get one part to make yeah. the other. Well, obviously you're, you're just, you, you, you end up getting a full other working printer and so there's no point yep. to taking one part off of another to, to make the other one yeah, work. You well, may as well course. just use the new yeah. one. And so now <laughs> I've got a junked, you know, or one that still can't be fixed or requires something else. And so you're left kind of to your own devices to figure out what to do. Like maybe the problem was solved in the sense that like you got what you paid for again, but now you've got yeah. more waste. I don't know. Um, let sure. me know in the chat if that's ever happened to you guys and like how how strange of a solution that feels. I don't feel like it made me happier though. Like in the long run, I mean, yes, I got another printer. Like I didn't end up with like, I paid for something and then I had a broken printer that was never fixed. Sure. But I didn't feel like my problem was really fixed. I don't know. Is that weird? Interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. a bit of a digression. That's an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit of a digression, but anyway, that was, that was interesting. Uh oh, James NorCal Machine Works. Good to see you. Sorry you're late. Uh, listen, your penance. Go stand in the corner for for two minutes and think about what you did, and then uh, you can come back and chat some more with us. Uh, he no, but he did mention identify problems. Uh, if the problem is a pattern, uh, that is native to a lot or the design. Now that's an interesting one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is it a fundamental yep. design flaw when you're identifying the problem, or is it specific to the production of a specific lot? of them. Uh, and that's, that's a really good point, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're breaking down the problem, like not, you know, not making assumptions about whether it's a fundamental design flaw, or you, you know, you need to spend the time mm-hmm. to do some, some analysis and it's, yep. it's very easy to fall into that trap of like, is, uh, does causation equal correlation? Like there's plenty of variables mm-hmm. that contribute that, that may lead you one way or the other. And that's, that's kind of an art to identify. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. You know, so it's, <laughs> you got to put on that sleuthing hat to, to figure it out sometimes, huh? Other comments. Uh, Mihao had one earlier. He had a question, and I think we, I don't know if he, he was saying it simultaneously because we were talking about technical debt. He said, would technical debt be the opposite of the process that we're trying to balance uh, in the two? So so technical debt is when you don't mm-hmm. create the process. So yeah, yeah, I suppose we are talking yeah. about the, the opposite of this. Like we're saying like, okay, here's how we prevent Mm -hmm. taking on technical debt right by creating processes to identify problems yeah okay so we've talked about identifying the problem uh if you guys have Mm -hmm. other tips and tricks in terms of what's worked for you and 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 like figuring out sleuthing out the problem like please share Mm -hmm. but let's move on to solutions so okay (laughs) <laughs> We've figured out the scope of the problem, whether it's your cap problem or my whole plug problem or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I think there's some cost analysis that's obviously mm-hmm. happening, right? And that oftentimes is kind of this intermediary deciding factor in terms of like, there's the gold standard fix and then there's the fix that we can afford to do. Like maybe we can't afford to recall everything. Like how do we... Sure. How do we make as many people as happy as possible without like stopping prop, you know, costing the company an insane mm-hmm. amount of money, right? 
Sure. And sure. thankfully, we're not dealing with product recalls that result in people dying, you know, like the automotive industry or something like that, where mm-hmm. there's like a human toll, uh, yeah. you know, that 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 factors in. But but cost is a significant part of the evaluation, is it mm-hmm. not? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so give us the formula, you know, so we can just plug in numbers, <laughs> and then everybody can just go about. That Unfortunately, manner. I don't think there's just a single formula uh, that you could use. I mean, for for us. Um, you know, we, we had to take this into account for when we had the issues with the, the seals and, you know, the, the old caps and, you know, part of the, you know, part of the thing that we identified when we were looking at the problem was, oh, well, we need a new cap. And Mm -hmm. so we spent tons of time, tons of energy, tons of testing, developing our own cap. Um, and the intellectual property around it. And, you know, like you buy a new bottle of Gloop, it comes with a really fancy purple cap on it. Um, And that we actually designed here in-house. And part of that came from, okay, well, we have to eventually stop the bleeding of just constantly replacing bottles or constantly replacing, you know, product that has gone bad over time uh, because of that. Right. Uh, but we couldn't at the time, since we were bootstrapped, we couldn't afford the upfront investment to get that, you know, that mold made and, you know, have all mm-hmm. of the parts mm-hmm. necessary to actually do that. Uh, so what we did was internally, we literally built out an Excel spreadsheet of saying, okay, well, these are the, this is the past day that we've had. This is the future day that we expect. Here's our current growth rate and trajectory that we think that's, you know, we're going to be able to, to sell our, our products to. So we're going to have to start budgeting X number of dollars per month that we're just going to have to eat to replace this product um, that has gone bad because it was a known issue. And so what we did was we created internally a formal process, literally an if this, then that sort of follow up where when a customer would come to us, we would then look at it, look at their order, figure out, you know, it, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. basically does it qualify? How do we, you know, how do we get, uh, how do we make this right? If you will. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> We have some interesting commentary in the chat about in the subject of, of mm-hmm. costing and evaluation. Uh, Chemnerd uh, process that we, I think he's talking about. There's, there's discussion about the the harbor freight harbor freight replacement program. Okay, like the policy sure. is like the stuff is so cheap. The logistics is more expensive of like dealing with the parts thing that just mm-hmm. shipping another one is is cheaper and more cost effective. And and Chemnerd goes on to say like somebody made the decision that it's just mm-hmm. more cost effective for us to send a replacement. And that is a, I think it is becoming a more, or it already is a common mm-hmm. solution to these problems, mm-hmm. right? Like when you look at the overall cost, the evaluation has been, it's just cheaper to just set, deal with it as it arises. Mm-hmm. And instead of going through a design analysis or whatever, accepting the fact that there will be X percentage failure rate Mm-hmm. And then just ship another one when you need to. That's exactly um, it. It is a <laughs> wasteful one, uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but that is part of the cost, I guess, associated with it. Um, and it is a solution. And, and it is mm-hmm. a very business solution, right? Like, what's mm-hmm. going to cost us the least amount? And then we do, we do that. Um, I would argue that the long-term cost mm-hmm. of that is probably higher in the it is. in the lost brand reputation, right? Or yeah. 
but mm -hmm. maybe that's okay. I don't know. People that are shopping at Harbor Freight for tools don't really mm -hmm. care or they're, they're going there because they want the cheap one, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. they, they, they just need something that works right now or is going to work for this season or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it just really depends on where the customer expectations are, right? But, sure. But you're going to have a hard time climbing out of that hole of like establishing yourself as like a top tier brand. And maybe that's not important mm -hmm. to you. Maybe you're a value player. I don't know. I mean, yep. that's what we see coming out of China a lot of well, the time. It, it, exactly. And so, so, you know, you brought up this excellent point, like over time, this it, it's, it, it basically, it doesn't, it doesn't loop. Um, at some point it's a spiral and each time you keep adding more and more product. And eventually if you have this grow, you're, you're, you as a company are growing, you have more and more issues that you're having to solve. And so this is something that, again, as we defined this process, we actually realized saying, okay, well, at some point this is going to start costing us a lot more. And eventually it's going to damage the reputation. It's going to damage the brand. It's going to damage everything that we've been building up to this point. So while at first it gave us a, a really nice touch point with the customer and it allowed us to, you know, make the situ situation right. And they loved us for it. It also potentially, if they kept having this issue means like, man, I don't even want to bother with it. Cause then I'm gonna have to reach out to them and then they're gonna have to replace it and all of this other stuff. And so once we realized this problem again, it was like, okay, now we have to start implementing the process to fix said problem. Yep. And defining that and, you know, getting to a point where we're better. And so we released our V1 of our caps and our V1 right now, that's what everyone gets. They still have issues. We've still had issues. Granted, they're a lot less, yeah. but we didn't get it completely correct at the first, you know, the first go around. Right. And so it's, you know, this is one of those things where there's like two loops inside of each other, like recursive, you know, problem process loops that we're actively working on. Yeah. Um, I, I struggle with this one because it's like as a business, you know, business me is just like, yeah, of mm -hmm. course, you're going to do what like customer service and having a parts department and all the things required for like issuing a fix and getting somebody through that like is really mm -hmm. time intensive and costly and all that stuff. But like I just, you know, I just wish that it wasn't such a wasteful approach. Like nobody fit the reason that nobody fixes anything anymore. Like and the reason mm -hmm. things are designed to not necessarily be fixable is because the the cost benefit analysis has shown that over time that it only is going to have a, a useful life of X you know period of time and that it's just cheaper to like mm -hmm. send another one as needed and then fix it in the next design. Like, okay, we, we, we take in the data. We understand that that's fine. And when the next version of the tool comes out, hopefully we design it so that this doesn't have the problem, but in the interim, mm -hmm. you just have to accept the fact that there's going to be some failure rate and you move quickly. So it, it there is an argument for it it does allow you to fail fast, right? I guess mm -hmm. in that regard. Um, yep. And maybe investing in shortening your release cycle time or optimizing your production in a way where you can release improvements faster that, you know, that is mm -hmm. a process improvement. Um, mm -hmm. But having done plenty of that on a simple <laughs> storage box, I can tell you like that, that, that can be painful, you know, as well. Every time a new release comes out, there's such a domino effect of what sure. other things have to happen. And um, it's really hard to get a good, good aggregate of the true cost of that a lot of times. Like, it doesn't become apparent for a while. Sure. Yeah.
Where do we go from here? We need more uh, more tips and tricks for our, we've identified our problem. Mm-hmm. We're working on implementing a process now. You, you'd mentioned <laughs> my mm-hmm. tweet earlier was, you know, more mo- mo money, more process, right? Like, because the more products you have <laughs> and stuff like that, like you said, sure. the more this, this comes into mm-hmm. place. And so as you grow as a company and you start investing in that, you have to really, really start focusing more on having not just the process, but the people to support the process, you know, sure. for that, yeah. for that growth. So sure. The, the releasing another product and you've seen this, right? Like you started with mm-hmm. PLA glue, then you had PETG and then you've got other ones mm-hmm. that you want to, but you know that even just small, subtle formulaic changes like require mm-hmm. completely different processes sometimes. And that's not, mm-hmm. you know, the end user's just yeah. like, well, this one says PLA, this one says PETG and doesn't, doesn't tell yep. the story at all in terms of like you might have yeah. to use completely different reaction vessels and whatever you know chemistry. That's exactly it mm-hmm. to to yeah to get there. Um, yep, yeah. And it, it, for us, like yeah, it, it comes down to uh, you know we're we're still really small. Like you know, Gloop is still two people, and we want to move on and start releasing new products or new chemistries. But we also have to, as I was saying earlier in the show, like I'm very process oriented. So we have to come up and establish the processes of how we actually produce said products, how we bottle said products, how we label it, everything. And, you know, it's it's been a chore. And so one of the things like, you know, that we've recently been doing internally, um, you know, is is getting ready towards serialization. And that requires a whole new change to our process, like how we label our bottles, how we actually track all of the batches how we track all of the all of the lot numbers of our bottles our seals everything yeah and that that requires again a whole new change of just thinking through and eventually it's going to require another person um Mm. to actually help us implement said process Mm. um now you know this is one of those things where it's uh you know you go back it's it's not a problem it's a process to manage um you you know it, it was for for us like you know, we had to issue a recall, um, you know, six months ago, something like that. I can't remember exactly when, um, but it was because we had a problem that we weren't properly process managing. That was keeping track of our vats of our various reagents and what their usable shelf life was. And in this case, we had some contaminant get in and in, in our case, it was moisture and water and it mm. ruined that reagent. And we weren't carefully managing that process of making for sure, like we were storing it correctly or, you know, ensuring that we were using it before it's in shelf life. And it basically resulted in us having to issue a recall. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that actually changed quite a bit of what we did internally. Um, You know, so I, I think part of the, you know, one of the tips and tricks is, you know, we were mentioning earlier was, identifying the magnitude of of said problem like at this you know this was a it was a known unknown if you will Mm. um in that you you know if you're thinking about all of the things that could go wrong in your business um you you have some known knowns where like you know okay hey you got chemical things that are going to go bad right Right. like you can predict something like that you then could also say well maybe someone adds the wrong chemistry and you know causes a bad batch to happen but you have other things where like known unknowns now that sounds a little weird but yeah. the idea is is that 
you don't know exactly what could happen that would cause an issue, but it causes an issue that in which you're going to have to issue a recall or you're going to have to, you know, change process. And so sure. from there, identifying all of these pieces and listing them out in, I guess, a level of severity mm. um, so that you could then define this is what would happen if this were to happen. Um, you know, I know I'm not really providing a lot of specifics here, but I, I guess just really trying to provide some structure of thinking through. <laughs> yeah. You know, this touches on a lot of interesting things that have been talked about earlier in the chat and stuff like that too, where you, uh, you know, you, when we're going back, you need to identify, like, is this a fundamental design? Like your chemistry was sound, mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. that you can get the result you need. So it's not a design thing, but you had a lot issue because something went wrong in your process and mm -hmm. we're talking now about you are changing your process so that you have some serialization, some identification so that you can identify mm -hmm. this. And as James at NorCal Machine Works points out that a lot of times insurance actually requires this or certain like when you go brick and mortar and stuff like this, like having those yep. labels and stuff as a requirement because of the fact that if a recall needs to be issued, the retailer needs to be able to go through their shelves and be like, yep, this falls in this serial range. We need to pull this stuff off. And so yep. when you're first getting started, obviously you didn't have this process and it was, I guess, arguably a technical debt that maybe you knew mm -hmm. you would eventually need to get to, but it wouldn't yep. have been worth necessarily spending the time and money investing from the jump without knowing if the demand was even there. Right. And sure. so, yeah, so these are the things that we constantly come across as a small business where it's like you until it becomes a big enough problem, you don't move to that next step. So this can be a rite of passage and a good thing, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you have to prove out a lot of other things before you're going to invest the time and money and energy in, you know, establishing that process um, yep. because it does, you no good. And we've seen just you know, history is rife with failed companies that probably try to cover too many bases too early on without even identifying if they have a viable product, um, mm -hmm. which is yes, a conversation <laughs> for like a whole nother time. I, I, I think, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's data on this, but I would speculate when you get into the world of like venture funding and stuff where it's like, uh -huh. you've, you've got all that money burning a hole. You've hired these people. You're hiring people with experience with wearing that are wearing goggles of, well, we need to do X, Y, and Z because that's what I did at my last company. Never mind, mm -hmm. It was a multinational multimillion dollar company that had the resources and the, the demand mm -hmm. to drive all of that. And so you're starting to get, you know, move down this path because there's just money to throw at this problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and that I feel like is that can be a great disservice. Like that's a great reason that bootstrapping is great. Mm -hmm. Like the fail fast thing, the don't mm -hmm. invest in the problem and the fix until you are there. Um but mm -hmm. but I know that where there is is amorphous and uh, it, you know all that stuff and so that really I think the moral of the story as I would wrap it up and you tell me is that that the identification of the magnitude of the problem is mm -hmm. critical in the yep. whole thing in terms of identifying the cost benefit analysis of implementing that. I know that's like a lot of, mm -hmm. yeah, 
uh, no, that, that's exactly it. <laughs> you know, I mean, we could have, like, you know, for instance, on, on the specifics with our batch, you know, numbering or serialization, we could have implemented a serializing process, but it would have meant that it, at the beginning, like, uh, we would have had to have gone to a different label supplier. We would have had to have serial numbers printed on the bottles. We would have had to invest in software and in, you know, equipment capable of of supporting all of that like you know i can share like use some numbers recently we've invested almost twenty thousand dollars in this whole serialization 20k effort. 20k, 20K. in just yeah. the serialization effort and mm -hmm. how does yes. that feel tell us in the chat and again this is no judgment on andrew and how he spends his money but it is <laughs> uh what what does that feel like to you at this at where you're at in terms of like a dollar expenditure for a specific process because mm -hmm. i guarantee you there's people out there of like 20k pff, that's nothing and then there's other sure. people like oh my god 20k like i could buy da -da 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 -da. i could do this with that mm -hmm. right and so you're constantly yep. especially as a bootstrap you're constantly evaluating uh uh you know the the do i want to spend it on this or do i want to spend it on that right mm -hmm. um you have determined that to grow to to mm -hmm. have a presence in brick and mortar and all that stuff like you know you need to cross this Bridge, and this yep. is an investment that's worth making. I'm glad you brought up software uh, mm -hmm. because that's part, you know, what you're talking about for your serialization. Because we did get a question from Vast DNC that I wanted to address, where he says, "Where do software tools and solutions come into on process improvement?" And specifically, he's asking about inventory and what do we use. So, mm -hmm. I think the first part of that question uh, is a great example like you just gave an example that's a piece of software and a piece of hardware mm -hmm. that you've had to invest in uh, and, mm -hmm. and train on and all of that stuff but inventory is <laughs> mm -hmm. is my white whale right now or is one of of many of them and we've <laughs> played with things because there's a ton of erp mrp like there's so many solutions your head would spin in terms of like inventory management process management tools there's companies mm -hmm. out there that are constantly trying to sell you things and all that stuff. And that's one of the ones where I'm like, we're not there yet. We don't need it. Like my, my um, ops director, you know, came from HP and he's, he's been looking at ERP systems. Oh, I think we should use mm -hmm. this and that and the other thing. And I'm like, man, we don't have the money to, to spend on that, nor do we need like 80% of the complexity that that thing even has. Like we are still in spreadsheet sure. land. Uh, and yeah. we're not even doing that well, but that's more because of like garbage in, garbage out problem, not because of the tool itself. Like we're not regularly mm -hmm. because so much of inventory or any software is about data entry, not mm -hmm. the software itself. So if you don't have the process for consistent data entry, it doesn't matter what the software is. Sure. What is your what are your feels around both the question of software and specifically inventory, because I think inventory can relate to anybody. Even if you're not selling product, a lot of times you might have mm -hmm. work in process or maybe your inventory is, is more of a mm -hmm. digital inventory of sorts. I don't know. What do you, well, yeah. So, so as I mentioned earlier, like for us going through this whole process of process, you know, improvements uh, for serialization uh, you know, there are a lot of changes that we have to make. Um, and how we actually go about doing those. And so, uh, you know, I, as I mentioned, the software, but we now have, uh, you know, a whole piece of, um, you know, we have a whole 
like suite of tools that we now have to like learn to use for inventory control because with serial numbers and we we start producing bottles in a, a serialized fashion we have to make for sure that it's a first in first out sort of situation um where we're sending out the bottles that we're producing in a linear fashion not jumping lines and you know getting things confused yes it could happen where eventually gets down to the you know the reseller or whatever and they're selling out of order but for us we have to produce in a methodical way um and for for inventory pieces like uh, you know it's that's a huge you know it's a huge problem for us to solve right now and you know that's where a lot of this focus has been recently on coming up with new product SKUs. like we mm -hmm. even have SKUs now on every individual piece that goes into the products like our our caps consist <laughs> our of SKUs like, have SKUs. yeah our SKUs have SKUs. like oh, our caps consist of like uh around eight components and they're actually assembled in house and so from there we have you know everything now is going in bins and they all have SKUs. and we we are establishing a process in such a way where this is the progression of the production of a cap and we now have it a documented way so that we can then put batch numbers and you know uh you know basically a gated control of you know the production of the of all of these items yeah um yeah so yeah <laughs> It, it, this is this is a tough one to to address because it's so specific to what your particular mm -hmm. problem may be or what your product is and so what's good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander here like mm -hmm. uh, um you know going back in there's lots of little sub debate on on usage of of spreadsheets versus databases and stuff like that yes they are not the same thing um mm -hmm. and by by the same merit i would say like Maybe a spreadsheet. So a spreadsheet, I would say, is a step above like uh, a clipboard and a piece of paper, right? So like there, there is mm -hmm. a very fundamental accounting inventory structure of like literally just walking through and be like, I have five of these. I have six of these. Okay. A spreadsheet now is a digital representation. I say we're in that land. And the reason we utilize that is it's, it's the minimum viable product for us that allows us to share uh, remotely and digitally, like so, it's 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 a connected spreadsheet. We're using Google Sheets so that you know somebody can go through, do account, and I can be at home. And when I'm doing my purchasing, I say, okay, we got this many on hand, so I don't have to physically have that thing ahead of me. Like, but it's a very rudimentary mm -hmm. approach to inventory control. It's there's a lot of blind spots mm -hmm. still. Yeah. Um, but I would argue for where we are, for the money that we have, and the the choices that we have to make with how to spend our money. We, I, I am forcing us to stay in that space because mm -hmm. it's what's most appropriate for our needs currently. Sure. That's not an easy thing. Like a lot of people are like, oh, we got to, well, if we want to be legitimate, we got to be using Salesforce or, you know, all these other things that are going to tie our manufacturing back to our sales channel. And, you know, like it gets, it gets wacky guys. Like it gets expensive. It get like there's, and don't get me wrong. Like there's, there's value in these tools but you have to really mm -hmm. step back and go, do I have the people that can even manage all of this? Do I have the time to train everybody on it? Like, like don't, don't put the cart before the horse. Um, mm -hmm. And that's so easy to do uh, in, in, in this world. <laughs> um, sure. Because you go, well, I want to invest in doing it right now. Right. Like I got into this, 
I don't want to say debate, but like uh, uh, my my ops direction, we're working on packaging for uh, a product we just launched, the the turntable, um, mm-hmm. and you know he he was just like, look, um, we were just kind of debating on like how do we want to kit all these parts together? Like there's there's no one right. It's, this is kind of organization, you know. Um, do we mm-hmm. put all the screws in one bag? Do we separate things out? And and there's there's the things that make our life easier in terms of like getting the package out and to the, to the customer mm-hmm. because we don't need to create a separate baggie for different things. And then there's like the cost associated with if we just threw all of our parts into one box and somebody opens it up and then just a million pieces go out and they're having to hunt it down. It's a crappy <laughs> experience, right? When you're expecting to put it together. So we, you have to find that balance of, you're, you're kind of creating some organization and some, you know, coaching mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's unique to kitting, uh, or mm-hmm. built kit build type products. You don't deal with this. Sure. If you're shipping fully assembled things to people, it's not a, yeah. a problem that, that you have, you know, his argument was, let's just go with, like, we need to get this thing out the door. We already have orders coming in all that stuff. We'll come back and optimize what the build process should be and what, you know, get the baggies all have the proper labels on them and all that stuff. So the the con there's constant debate around like taking on technical debt versus like no, I know that we're not gonna we're gonna get wrapped up in something else next next week we're not gonna come sure. back to this so let's yeah. take the time now and let's do it right what I'm considering right because mm-hmm. let's be honest like it'll change again at some point but let's invest in establishing some process now and that takes some feel right because mm-hmm. pooch of one two years ago might have just said yeah you're right like let's just get this thing out the door and taken on a lot more technical debt than i'm willing to take on now um i'm the one that has to hear the customers complain about the fact that they lost a bunch of screws because they just like dumped the thing out and didn't expect everything to go, <laughs> go everywhere and i'm like no it's <laughs> a that's a crappy yeah. user experience we're not doing that um, and, and to be fair, he wasn't necessarily advocating for just like throwing it all in one thing, but we, we were just kind of talking about like how, how far do we want to break it out? He actually probably went further where it's like everything was its own bag and we were going to need all this extra plastic bagging, all this extra labeling. Uh, and so like, you sure. know what? We can probably move. It was, a, it was, it ended up being a compromise. We can probably put a couple things together in this bag and a couple in this bag. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it was a compromise the way a lot of these things were. And I'm happy where we ended up. And I don't think it was a lot of extra work, but, um, again, you know, the sure. way I address my problems and the processes that I create are not necessarily mm-hmm. what you do. And at the end of the day, you just need to decide something, right? Sure. Yep. That's the last thing I want to hand hand on because we th- this is the paralysis by analysis is mm-hmm. a major problem for a lot of entrepreneurs yes. and all that stuff at the end of the day you need to make a decision and go forward you might be wrong you might be right you might be somewhere in between but not doing anything or spending too many time and uh, too much time mm-hmm. on meetings and discussing is not good either yep, yep. That Absolutely. I think is a core component of establishing problem process and all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. pick something and go with it, fail fast maybe and reevaluate. What is your advice or strategy in that? Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I would say that, and I, I am 100% guilty of this. Um, you know, we've, we've done this on several products that we have not released yet because it's, it's not ready yet or you know we need to we need to establish this process in order for it to be complete um you know i mentioned earlier like 
it, it can be very easy to get wrapped up in if you're a process oriented individual where, you know, you have to take certain steps in order to manufacture a product. And you think about all of these things and you're thinking about all of the problems that could be, um, you know, you, you basically get trapped and you're not able to make a decision because or you're waiting on something else in order to be able to make that decision or take that next step. And then you get stuck in this holding pattern. Um, and it's like, well, I can't do this because I need to do this first and I need to get this first done because, you know, I'm waiting on this and, you know, it, it becomes a problem in its own self because it's a process and it's in its way. So like I was saying, like the yeah. endless bureaucratic, you know, kind of stuff that you would deal with, like with government entities or whatever, yeah. it's yeah. like, well, you have to fill out this form and then this form, and then you have to wait six weeks. And then, you know, like kind of <laughs> like have that. a meeting um, on it. And then we have to have another meeting on it. And exactly. Blah, blah, blah. And so what, what I would say is, is the first, the first sign of that actually happening is, is when you make that first excuse to yourself of, I can't do this right now because I need to make this so that it's done right. And I feel like that is the first sign. It's like, well, you know, you know, internally, like as you, as you just said, Pooch, like you might not go back and do it, you know, again, I know but myself. this, this idea of it's gotta be right is, is I think where it all <sighs> gets rooted. So um, is that a semantics know, thing? Because I, I find myself saying that all the time. We're going to do yeah. it right. We're going to do it right the first time. But like, yeah. that is where that is where the, it, the problems lie. And right? it might like, be a semantics. But it, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the point that I'm trying to make is, is like, we internally was like, well, we're not going to release this product until we know that we can support it. And we know that we can do all of these things. And like, mm -hmm. we were thinking way too far down the road. And what we needed to do was actually just get the dang product out there and just see if it actually worked. Um, yes. That's the fail fast. That's the fail fast mechanism, exactly. right? Right. Exactly. Or hopefully and succeed so, fast. So we, <laughs> we we got we got caught up into this, and it was like, well, we're not going to do it until we can do it right and the correct way. And yeah. it's like, well, we're the ones defining what is right and the correct way, and we're the ones standing in our own dang way right now in this position. <laughs> so, so right, you're, you're absolutely correct in the sense that right is probably a terrible word to use in this case. Uh, I, I think mm -hmm. a better process for that is like define the criteria because what, where we fail sure. a lot of the time is what is the, what, what is the, the, um, release structure or like it's, it's, I don't think that it's bad to say that like we can issue that as a V that could be a great V2 option. That could be a good V3 mm -hmm. option and stuff, but we don't take the time to define what problem are we solving with this yep. particular product or, you know, process mm -hmm. that's out there. And I oftentimes like to look at uh, use 80, 20 rule, right. Where it's mm -hmm. like, here are all the things that we think based on what we know customer demand is, we would like to have right now here's what's feasible based on the money we've got or the time we have available or whatever. Uh, can we hit 80%? Like where's the sweet chewy center of, of, of these mm -hmm. things. Um, but sure. we don't always take the time to like lay that out. Cause a lot of times, you know, we do it and it's not until we're iterating on the product and all that stuff. And we're like, you know what, this would just be really killer extra feature. If we just rolled this into like that, that creeping elegance, that shiny object syndrome that, that, you know, ties back into this whole thing that just mm -hmm. ultimately fights against you in terms mm -hmm. of like committing to a way, a choice. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a bit of a digression into to product sure. development, not necessarily identifying the problems and stuff, but like 
again, mm -hmm. spe spending that time to whiteboard or write down your notes or whatever your process is to understand like where are you even trying to be, mm -hmm. and then and then committing to a course of action that at least is going to hopefully check off as many of those things as you can, knowing that sure. you're never going to get them all, right? Mm -hmm. Like what are the ones that mm -hmm. you? What are your deal breakers? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you have to have discussions like, well, is this really a deal breaker or is it just like, that's what makes it right to me does not necessarily make it right sure. to you. So defining sure. what is right, getting it right uh, mm -hmm. is really where the, the, the devil lies in that, that detail. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I don't think that tells anybody anything specific, but I mean, other than what we constantly say, which is like, spend the time to actually analyze the problem, write down things, mm -hmm. like think, stop, just stop, yep. man, just stop yep. and apply some thought. Um, <laughs> and that in and of itself works against a lot of what's like part of the reason I got into being in business for myself was like, I just hate the notion. I hate the way the, the corporate rat races and like how much time was spent in like meetings and talking about what oh, we're going to do yeah. and never doing it. Like I started my own business to get out of ever being in meetings. And now I find myself getting dragged back into meetings to some extent because it's and just sometimes inevitable. you need to create a meeting to, to establish another meeting. Uh, <laughs> so now we're setting up meetings to create meetings. It's, <laughs> it's just so, yeah. But I mean, you know, like that, that's been kind of the way that, um, in corporate America, we've just like, well, this is, this is what it takes to have those discussions or to, to get a thought process down. The problem is, is like, those aren't well-defined oftentimes and they get bloated. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize like that could have been an email, you know, yeah. meetings. None of us is as yeah. dumb as all of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, we could go on for quite some time uh, mm -hmm. on this, and maybe we should revisit it at some point. I do hope that you guys got some useful thought nuggets. That's a thing. Hopefully. Out yeah. of this. <laughs> uh, we always enjoy having the conversations. Uh, I always leave these feeling energized and, you know you have to understand guys like this is for us as much as it is for anybody else in terms of like our methodology of talking through things. Andrew and I, are, I think have a very like simpatico uh, around like what it takes for us to kind of like identify things mm -hmm. that we need in our point. So half of it is us venting and, and sharing things that have worked and not worked for us. And so I hope that that has value to you guys. As Mike likes to say, uh, if if it does, please don't forget to subscribe. Tell, bring a friend, whatever. Give us suggestions about topics you want to hear more of. We love your questions. We love your comments. Uh, feel free to call in if you ever want to. The hotline is above. It's all about conversation. It's all about trying to get to a better place together. And uh, we thank you for joining us, as always. Andrew. Parting words for our, I mean, our people. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I guess just uh, get out there and I guess go do something, right? Instead of do instead it. of worrying about all of the problems, just just do it and see if there are problems. Instead of you know, <laughs> is that the best data? Of, that's your best advice, like in terms of like you just got to collect the data. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's not the data that you want, but you're yeah. right. Like if you don't, the, the cost of in, in the cost of inaction is oftentimes greater than the cost of your actions. Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
training yourself to like, you know, yes, have some time to talk about it, but define that period of time, define the length of Mm -hmm. the meeting, define like, we're going to think about it for 30 minutes or Mm -hmm. an hour or whatever it is, and then implement and, and then (laughs) assess, right. And you're going to, there is a, it is a circular, but that's the whole key to establishing a process it's it's mm-hmm. scientific method, right? It's like you have yep. a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, you might refine the hypothesis and then retest the pi- and until you get it right, right? Like that's that's mm-hmm. what we're doing. We're making the recipe yep. as we go. Absolutely. Hope that's helpful. Awesome seeing you guys. Uh please, please join us again next next week, next Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific. Mm-hmm right here on the YouTubes for another captivating episode of Maker That Money podcast with Pooch and Andrew. Until then, everyone have a fantastic weekend. Best of luck to you. Keep tacking up those wins, which I know we missed today, but we'll talk about more next week. (laughs) And uh, enjoy. Bye-bye. See ya.